a Podcast One production. Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. Carrie Webb has always seemed to me to be this formidable figure in sport. She's someone I've admired, looked up to and been in awe of for so long. It's mind-boggling what she's achieved in the game. Seven majors, 41 LPGA Tour wins, over 70 career wins and entry into the World Golf Hall of Fame. The greatest golfer Australia has ever produced, male or female, and all that having come from the very small country town of Ayr in North Queensland. But it was four years ago that we were both part of a working group looking at how we could boost the number of girls playing golf. And it was then that I got to personally know the friendly, approachable, down-to-earth and passionate Kari. It's a passion and a personal mission she has not just for the game, but to create a better future in the game for young girls. But after over 20 years of playing golf all over the world, Kari still loves returning to Australia. I do. There's no other tournaments in the world where... I get um, home crowd advantage and, and uh, full support. So, you know, early on in my career, it was probably a little overwhelming for me and I didn't probably enjoy it as much. But pretty quickly, I, I learned how great it was to come home and play in front of the home crowd and, and on courses that, you know, is where I learned to play golf on Australian golf courses. So, yeah, I try to make sure that that's a priority every year. Um, I love as well that you get back to, to air. I love that you're... You've, you've eclipsed the global sporting stage and, and reached such incredible heights in your career, yet you come from a really humble beginnings back in North Queensland in Ayr, which is a population of 8,738, <laughs> according to Wikipedia. <laughs> I find it so fascinating that that's where you were born and that's where you grew up. But what was it like growing up in Ayr in the 70s and 80s? Um, well, thanks for making it 70s and 80s. That's so, <laughs> <laughs> I'm an 80s um, girl as well. It's all yeah. great. <laughs> I mean, I obviously didn't know anything else, but, you know, when I look back on it, I think um, it was, for me it was a huge advantage growing up in a small town. And and back then, you know, I feel like all the facilities that we had in, in the town, you know, all the sporting facilities were of great quality and and you go back there every year. You love Yeah, well, I have a place in Townsville now um, and I'm – now that I'm not playing as much, um, I'm spending more time back in Australia. And so I have a place in Townsville, which is about an hour north. And one sister lives there with her family. And then um, my other sister and my parents and one grandmother still live in air. I'm lucky in a way that all my family are all close together because in the years when golf was full time, uh, it was mm. good that I didn't have to travel all over Australia to catch up with everybody. And you mentioned your grandmother there and she had a part to play in you finding golf, didn't she? Yeah, she did, her and my grandfather. And my parents, they took up golf right around when I was born. So they were um, all very av- avid golfers. But uh, my grandparents had two businesses that they ran and they worked six days a week and Sunday was their only day off. And amazingly, they'd come and scoop me up at about seven in the morning on Sunday and, and take me out with them for nine holes. You know, I didn't have real clubs back then, um, just the plastic ones. <laughs> and as I got older and stronger, I got really frustrated because obviously, the, you know, the head would fly off the club and, you know, so they, they were the ones that promised me for my eighth birthday that I'd get a real set of clubs. That's cool. But yeah. did you actually play on the course with the plastic clubs? How did that work? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, no, um, you know, it was a plastic ball. Um, yeah, I, I didn't play all nine holes and, and, you know, at four years old I couldn't walk nine holes. So <laughs> half, half of the uh, nine holes was me riding on my granddad's pull cart on the back of it. <laughs> so he was pulling his clubs and me along. Oh, my gosh. Oh yeah. gosh, fit bloke. And then by the time, did you say you were eight? They promised yeah, eight that was you when would... I got a, yeah, a real set of clubs. That's very, very cool. And was it yeah. love at first sight for you and golf? Did you just love it? Or was it just hanging out with the grandparents? Yeah, I think it was, and and my parents. I think um, Air Golf Club at that time was quite a young golf club, so a lot of people my parents' age mm-hmm. were members, and so it was a very social thing for my parents. So they'd they'd play on a Saturday afternoon, and um, my grandparents who had worked you know six days looked after us in the afternoon, and then they'd drop us out there you know in the afternoon after mum and dad had finished, and they'd be up in the the clubhouse having a drink and, you know, there was a bunch of kids uh, my age. So we'd just hang out downstairs and run amok and, but just have a really good time. So, you know, we'd play Red Red Rover between two bunkers, you know, so we would, you know, safe was diving into the bunker and, you know, so That's awesome. it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a really great atmosphere and it's a place that I wanted to be at. Did you look up to any other female golfers? How did you know that golfing was something that you wanted to do? I think golf, well, men's golf was televised, you know, the Australian summer was televised a lot more. They had a bigger mm. schedule. Um, so, mm. you know, I, I was, you know, just grew up watching that. That's how I knew that there was such a thing as a professional golfer. And my coach, Calvin Heller, because we didn't have a pro, he was like the um, club champion, the head green superintendent um, out mm. there and really good friends with my parents. So, he was the best player in the club, so I always thought he was a pro. I remember asking mum, is Calvin a pro? And she's like, no, he's not. But, you know, I think professional golf just always intrigued me and um, I didn't I didn't really have any female role models because golf, female golf was um, not visible at all. Um, mm. So I started playing junior golf when I was eight, so I was at 83 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time I ever saw live golf, women's golf on TV was in 1990 and and I'd already told my parents years before that that I wanted to be a professional golfer so um you know I I got the the monthly golf magazines and um you know there was little bits in there actually one of them I wrote a letter to the editor and asked for for more female content um (laughs) and they've actually reprinted that a couple of times your letter yeah that's awesome yeah did you get a response um, straight away from them? Or did I never I never got a response, just that they put it in the magazine. Yeah. How old were you at that time? Oh, maybe 13 or 14. That's cool. Yeah. So, you know, that was my only, you know, it's not like now you can, you know, go on the internet and look up anything you want mm. um, and, and have your role models because they're right there in front of you. Mm. The golf magazines was my only content That's that so cool. kept me up to date. I love that you're an advocate for um, for women's sports and a champion for women's sports right back then as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> so what was it? Was it Greg Norman was a big hero of, of yours? Was that yeah, the point I, when you... Yeah, I mean, those teen years was when he was number one in the world and he mm. won his first British Open. Well, not even teen, pre-teen. When I was um, 11 for my 12th birthday, my birthday is really close to Christmas, um, because I was born close to Christmas, my mom didn't want me to ever get just one present. But my mm. for this birthday, my mom made an exception because my grandparents, um, Greg Norman was coming back to Australia to play in the Queensland Open 
at Coolangatta Tweed mm-hmm. on the Gold Coast and my mum's sister, my aunt, lives down there. So um, for my birthday Christmas present that year, my grandparents flew me down there to go to the Queensland Open and, and watch Greg Norman live. So that was my first um, professional event that I went to and, and that was the event that I came back and said to mum and dad, I want to be a professional go- golfer when I wow. grow up. What kind of training were you doing? Like you knew from 11 that you wanted to be a professional golfer. So how serious did you take it? Yeah, I, I was still doing tons of other stuff though. You know, I played all different sports with my primary school. Mm. Um, I was playing um, indoor cricket. I couldn't play proper cricket because that was a boy's sport. Mm. But I played indoor cricket. One of my, all well, my best friend at primary school's parents owned an indoor cricket centre. So cool. um, yeah, so that, that was, was your fun. End. Yeah. Yep. Nice. And, uh, and then... I also um, had guitar lessons and I actually tap danced for seven Curry Webb tap dance. <laughs> <Yes>. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I think I think it was to it was probably more to make people around me comfortable that I wasn't just a tomboy. I could be a little girl as well. Wow. So <laughs> <laughs> seven years, did you say? Yeah, grade one to grade seven. Wow. So yeah. You're quite you're good, but then. I didn't do any like contests or anything like that. I didn't. I, I just that didn't appeal to. I didn't like how the teacher wow. became like, you know, crazy when we had to prepare for something. So I didn't do any of that stuff. I, I mean, I, we did end of year concerts and stuff, but that was that. that oh was my it. gosh, to get those videos now, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> the pictures are bad enough. I'm glad we don't have videos. <laughs> do you still, if you've got heavy shoes on and there's like a loud floor or a wooden floor, do you still? feel that need to just kind of do, I don't know, a shuffle ball change or something on yeah, there? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Although um, there's so many people in my life that want to see me do it. And I refuse. <laughs> like, you, you could feed me a, a million drinks and I still won't do Are it. You serious? So, yeah. oh, I'd love to give that a go. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned before about your coach, Kelvin Haller. You had a really special relationship with him, which was from a really early age. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, his parents owned the newsagents uh, next door to my grandparents' um, shops. So uh, my mum and him grew up together um, and he was the club champion and, and mm-hmm. also um, the green superintendent uh, out at the club. So mum just said, listen, she, she seems to really like this. You know, if you see her out there, can you just keep an eye on her and make sure she's doing the right things? And so it was a very informal relationship to start with. And Calvin was out there every day, like he'd finish work and then he'd go and play golf and mm-hmm. I'd caddy for him, you know, in the club championships and stuff like that. Um, and then it sort of, you know, as I got better, I think he got um, more keen to coach me. And um, I think even at a young age, I, I thought of Calvin as as a second dad because I spent mm. tons of time with him. Mm. Um, and then uh, when, when I was 16, um, he um, walked into hospital and didn't walk out. Um, and has been a quadriplegic since actually it's going to be 30 years this year. Wow. Yeah. He was away. Um, Townsville didn't have a spinal unit, so Calvin and his wife Vivian had to live in Brisbane for I think it was three or four months mm. just to rehabilitate him enough to come home. And um, ever since he moved back home, um, we just went back to him coaching me. Um, wow. And we had such a great relationship before and had mm. worked together for so long that you know, he was able to communicate to me what, what needed to happen rather than um, put his hands on me or, or show me how to do it. Yeah, I think that's that's really special, isn't it? Like yeah. it, it wouldn't happen with any coach being able to verbally, especially with golf, explain mm. yeah. what he wanted to do. But did, is that just a sign of 
your relationship with him that you were able to communicate in a really different yeah, I way? Yeah, so. I mean, it didn't come with its fights, you know, <laughs> we get frustrated <laughs> with one another at times, but we, we did have a very, or we still do have a very um, special relationship. And he was my only coach through the best part of my career. Mm. And that was when I was spending probably only two weeks, maybe three weeks a year in North Queensland. Mm. You know, so I was getting in-person lessons, you know, two weeks a year. Wow. Because he then, didn't go over to the US. No, yeah, he couldn't travel that far. So um, how he, would he, he... Did, he did travel to when we played uh, on the Gold Coast at Royal Pines for the Australian Women mm-hmm. Ladies Masters. He'd come down for that. Yeah. Um, but they, even that started to get too much for, yeah, you know, yeah. for him, but also his wife, you know, stuff that you have to travel with for him. So it was the start of the internet and um, yeah. and, and email and all of that, um, which makes me sound really old, but um, <laughs> the way we were able to stay on top of things with my swing was I'd go to the golf course, video my swing, you know, set up a tripod, put a, you know, camera and then go home, connect to dial up internet, (laughs) 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 download, download the swings on the computer and then email them to him. And then, then by the time he saw them and then we talked, you know, and with the time change, it was like two days before I got a solution to the problem. So, you know, it, it, but that's how we did it, um, yeah. and and I thought that was amazing that we could do it like that way. Yeah, and now, yeah. and now you can have a live FaceTime lesson, yeah, you know, and get feedback straight away. So, yeah, yeah. it's definitely changed a lot. But you didn't want it any other way. You didn't want another coach. Well, things were going so great. I didn't. Mm. I didn't see the need to. It it, it did make it challenging at times. But um, even when um, in two thousand and three. Calvin and I had started making swing changes and before that we hadn't really done that. Mm. So we'd just worked on what was there. Mm. So when I started making changes, that was really hard to do by myself um, for most of the year. And so Ian Triggs, who I'd Mm -hmm. known since I was 14, um, he was coaching Rachel Hetherington at the time. And Mm -hmm. so he offered to help us out. And, you know, there's not a lot of coaches that would have been willing to say that you know, they were co- my coach, but that I could mm. also say that Calvin was my coach. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I never wanted Calvin not to be in the picture. Yeah. And Trigsy knew that. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so I worked with Trigsy for 10 years and, you know, he'd he'd come up to air sometimes and, and we'd, the, the three of us would work together and figure things out. Yeah, um, yeah. That was a prerequisite too that, you know, when I go back to... When I go back to air, I'm going to work with Calvin and, and, and yeah, yeah. he's going to be a part of this and he was fine with that too. So I've been very lucky to to have two guys that put their ego aside just to, to help me yeah. and, and, and also understood the relationship I had with Calvin. Now, when you were a teenager, a big turning point for you in your career was when you did win that Greg Norman scholarship, mm-hmm. which included going over to the US and spending a week with Greg Norman. Tell me more about this opportunity. Uh, It was amazing. Yeah, so I landed in West Palm Beach really late at night and his brother-in-law picked me up and took me back to his house, you know, in complete darkness and put me up in one of his guest house. How old were you? (laughs) Uh, 17. At one of his guest houses. Yeah. Yeah. And then I went to sleep and then the next day there's a knock on the door and I go to the door in my pajamas and and Greg Norman's standing there. So so that was very surreal, but it it was such a great week. Um, He was 
very giving and um, we played golf with him. Um, he also had to, um, he was a touring professional for a golf course in um, Orlando. So he took us up there um, and he took us to Universal Studios and we had um, VIP. So we didn't have to wait in line nice. and got in the best seat in every ride. And, <laughs> and I, that ruined me for those parks because <laughs> a couple of years later when I was back there living there I, and I had to line up, I was like, this sucks. <laughs> but you I know, know like, Craig Norman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you remember me? I was here a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, so yeah. what other things did you have to do with him? Because the whole idea is for him to to show you what, what he does and his preparations. Is that, is that yeah, right? Yeah, so he wasn't playing a tournament, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, he he made us get up with him and work out, which he worked out at like 5.30 in the morning. Oh, and wow. Yeah. Um, we only did that once, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, he had, um, you know, back in the day when you worked on your own clubs, he had his own little, um, you know, set up there where he'd work and fix his clubs and, and you know, mm. change the lies and lofts and all of that. So w- that was the first morning we were there. We were sitting in there and um, and he had all the clubs he'd ever played with on racks. Wow. Yeah, and he was just talking to us about our golf and what we thought we wanted to do. And, and then he said, oh, if there might be something through that door that you might be interested in. And we opened the door and it was where he kept all his Ferraris. So oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> walk in there is like seven or eight Ferraris oh, on wow on blocks and so it was just you know for me that was like I don't I don't think I'm ever going to own eight Ferraris but (laughs) you know it was like the ultimate of reaching the pinnacle of of golf and I think that inspired me to to want to try and do that um, on the women's side. How did that visit and that trip how did that change things for you as a golfer? Well one um, you know you you dream about being a professional golfer and you know eventually that's going to lead to playing in the states and you know we were in florida for a week and that i mean that's really feels a lot like queensland except the population's larger but mm. you know i didn't really see that it was a it was any different to living in australia so i think even just that week was oh yeah i can i can live over here <laughs> you know it's not that big a deal huh. but uh yeah it just sort of I think it gave a visual to the dreams that I had, you know, like this is where I want to be eventually. I don't yeah. know when that's going to be, but that's that's the goal I want. You know, I want to have, you know, have a house in Florida and, you know, like just all that stuff. That, eight Ferraris. You know, that's what, yeah, eight <laughs> Ferraris. <laughs> you say Florida was a lot like Queensland because I just find it fascinating how this girl from air population 8,000 from an early age was – then living over in Florida and the US, like what was the, was that just on, but you say it's a lot like Queensland. Was it a big shock? I, I could imagine that yeah. being a big shock for a country girl to then go live over there. Was it? Yeah. I mean, I look at it now. So um, I played a year in, on the European tour mm-hmm. um, in 95. That was my first year. And then I went to the States. So I'd had a year abroad. I just I don't know. I, I mean, I look at it now and I go, how did I just, I just <laughs> went over there and took everything in my stride. Like wow. there was nothing. I don't have any memories of that time of ever being overwhelmed. Like, overwhelmed, well, overwhelmed by, um, well, I've played really well at the start of my career. I'm going to buy a house and, you know, buy a house <laughs> in Orlando. And, you know, like I've been over there for two minutes and got a house in Orlando and bought a car. And all I can think of is that it was... You know, I I dreamt about it and 
I'd already put myself there. Yeah. So right. I, I, it didn't, it didn't overwhelm me at all. Which, as you get older, you, you know, because I said to my mom, I was over there by myself. Mm. You know, and she's yeah. like, I know we worried about you, but you didn't seem, <laughs> you didn't seem like it worried you. And I was like, I don't think it did. Yeah. Because in 1995, you were just 20 when you won your first British Open, which wasn't a designated major back then. You then went on to the LPGA Tour and won just your second tournament and finished the year with four wins. Your first major came in 1999 and then six of your seven majors came in just three years. What was it about Kari Webb which made her so dominant in those years? Mm. Um I mean, it didn't come easy. It was a lot of hard work and there were there were bumps in the road, but not on the golf course. I think the golf course was always um, my safe place. You know, I, mm. I, I went there and it didn't matter what was going on outside, I could shut everything out. And, um, and again, I just think I was so, I, I had such a single-minded goal from such a young age that that I just did it. I, I mean, I can't tell you now how I did it because even a couple of years after that dominant period when I, you know, and things weren't that bad, but I just wasn't, I wasn't winning as much mm. as I was or or playing as consistently well as, as I was. And so, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to get back to that place. And mm. and people are like, well, you've had all these amazing, you know, wins and experiences, just draw upon, upon them. But I, I never had any, I didn't have a... Um, you know, a system or the way I went about things. I just mm. did it, you know, and just, you know, hit the ball, found it, hit it again, you know. And, I mean, I make it sound really simple in that I, there wasn't a lot of brain function going on, but <laughs> I really did understand the game and I understood how to score. And I did feel nerves, but I think, you know, mostly I, you know, once I felt those nerves, I knew I was in contention. So, you know, I just lived for for that feeling. And when I, you know, when I wasn't winning, I, I wasn't happy. Because you were pretty tough on yourself, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, now reflecting, you think, oh, I wish I wasn't so hard on myself, but then would I have been as good? Yeah. You know, so it's hard to, you know, I, I don't have regrets on how hard I was on myself because I knew it made me the person I was. It, it made me tough. It made me a tough competitor. People mm. people knew when they saw my name on the leaderboard that I wasn't going anywhere, that mm. they were going to have to play well to beat me. Yeah. And you still had that tough mentality yeah. for so long and you're still playing the game. Have, yeah. have you changed now the way you play? Are you not so tough on yourself now or is that just ingrained in you to be just so um, mentally I'm definitely not as tough as, as I was. I've only been playing part-time the last couple of years and mm. and the reason for that really is to to get a bit of love back in the game. Um, did you lose the love? Yeah, I did. Um, but I think it was, you know, I've been really fortunate with my body. I've, I've never had any time off for injury. So I've never actually had an injury of any substance ever. Mm. And But but with that, there was no downtime. You know, golf's mm. all year round and I played a full schedule up until um, the end of 2017. So you know, I'd been going at it for over 20 years and asking 110% of myself, mm. um, you know, for that time. And I just got burnt out. I wasn't playing well. And, you know, and then back when I first started, you know, my mum said, oh, my, you know, she, Kari sacrificed so much when she was young, but I don't actually ever see what I did as a sacrifice. Mm. I wanted to do that. Mm. You know, I, you know, it didn't bother me that I missed a friend's wedding or, mm. or someone's birthday, uh, you know, I'd choose golf over that all the time. Mm. Um, but as I got older, 
and you know, and possibly if the results were still as good, you you'd be enjoying it more, obviously. But because mm. it wasn't up to the standard I wanted, then I felt like I was I was missing out on life. Mm. And so the part time golf has been to real, you know, it's been actually been really great because um, when I am out there playing, I'm like, oh, I really, you know, <laughs> this has been an awesome life, you know, like, and I and I do like to play golf and I like to compete. When were those years that you suffered burnout? What what years were we talking? Uh, 16, 17. Like 17 was when I realised I was. That's a long time into your career, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, there was probably other points during that time, but mm. I just pushed through it. Um, but at 17, I, in, at the end of 17, I could have just walked away and not played anymore. Um, yeah. But I also was old enough to have the perspective that that's, golf has been so great to me that I shouldn't should never leave the game feeling the way I do about it because I didn't I didn't want to feel the way I did. Yeah. So the part-time golf, although I would have liked to have played better, it still just, it changed my perspective on, on everything, which was good. And that was from 2018 that you Yeah, so back? the last two seasons, yep. Yeah. When you were 25, you qualified for the World Hall of Fame of Golf. Yep. You were inducted, were you 30 or 31 when um, that happened? Yeah, not just short of my 31st birthday. That's a huge moment, isn't it, from the girl? Yes. The girl from air? Yeah. How big yeah. a moment was that? Well, I don't think you ever set out to, um, you don't set a goal to ever be in a Hall of Fame, I don't think. Um, from 30? Yeah. Well, from 25. qualifying at 25, yeah. so I knew I was going to be inducted once I'd played 10 years. Um, yeah. And so, and the criteria has changed now, actually. Um, you have to be 45 or five years retired. So while, I mean, it, it did give me pause to reflect. I was still too young to, re I mean, if I was getting inducted now, it would be much more reflective for me and yeah. and, and more full circle sort of thing rather yeah, than yeah. I was still in the middle of my career you know, and I was getting inducted on the year that the first year that I hadn't won on the LPGA. So, you know, I was still right. like that bratty, like push yourself, like disappointed in how I'd played and now I'm getting inducted in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Like, yeah, yeah. Like I also was old enough to to understand the moment and, and I totally enjoyed it. Um, you know, there was um, all my family were over. Mm. You know, we had the World Golf Hall of Fame induction as well as the LPGA Hall of Fame induction. So we, we had two great parties and, <laughs> um, you know, I really, really did. And I and it did give me pause and time to reflect over those 10 years, mm. 10, 11 years. But then it was on it was on for the next, you know, to the next thing. You know, what are we, how are we going to get better for next year? Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, you I think it's... Would you to be inducted later? I, well, yes and no. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't change how it happened, but, um, you know, now I, I wouldn't have a choice now. I would have, I would have had to wait. So, mm. and I think that's good because you're older and more mature to, you know, um, to understand what you've done and appreciate it more, I think. Yeah. I've heard you say a lot that you're a very private person and I try to find a biography on you and I noticed that there were two books that were written about you within two years, but a really, really long time ago. I thought there's so much that's happened since those early 2000s. Were you happy with the way that you were presented in those books and why were there two books so close together? Um, I don't know why there were two books so close together. Um, one of them, Phil Tresseter, wrote and um, he was a journo and 
actually a, a really tough journo. He uh, he was really hard on Greg Norman, so I was always uh, <laughs> watch what is said around him. Mm. But he ended up being one of my biggest fans. So the book he wrote, I I knew about and I participated in, and my family participated in, and mm-hmm. um, so you know I approved that. And you know I I'd already had a, I guess my bumps in the road with with media and. I guess being criticized for how I was on the golf course, I didn't smile enough. Um, mm. You know, I didn't give media tons of access, um, especially into my personal space. You know, I just wanted to talk about golf. If you were going to talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up watching Greg Norman. Every time he stepped foot in Australia, they'd find some reason to give him a hard time. So mm. I think I was already on edge about that. Um, and, and then by the time these books were written, you know, I was definitely going into my shell and um, the second book that you're talking about, um, I was tricked into participating in that book. Uh, Charlie Happel was working for The Age. I don't know if he still does, but um, Mm. through my management, he had said that he was doing um, different interviews with different sports personalities for Sunday sporting section. Um, And so my... Uh, manager at IMG encouraged me to do it. They thought it would be really good. And, you know, I, you know, I was like, all right, I'll do that. Um, and then so we set up the time for the interview. Mm-hmm. And then when the interview time came, uh, Charles told me that it wasn't going to be in the paper anymore. He was writing a series of books on different sporting people. Mm. So he was already there. We were already doing the interview. I was like, all right, whatever. Mm. So did the interview. Um, and he... He came to asking me about my personal life and um, early in my career I had um, broken up with uh, my fiancé who caddied for me briefly at the start of my career and, you know, that made Woman's Day a new idea and Mm. all of that. And at at that time I was like, I don't want to be in those magazines. Mm. Advice from a lot of my friends on tour was, you know, you don't have to share that side of yourself no. if you don't want to. So, yeah. you know, I'd sort of up until that point what that had been respected and mm. and my personal life um, was asked about that day and I said I didn't want to speak about it. Mm. Um, and then he went off obviously and did his own investigating and um, <laughs> uh, when the book came out, obviously I didn't even know a book was coming out. Yeah. And the one excerpt from the book that came out was the investigating he had done had unfolded that I was dating a player on tour, which mm. was true. Yeah. But it went to every newspaper in the country and, you know, I'm sure he felt good about himself, about, you know, <laughs> getting the attention for his book. But for me, um, I was still learning or learning who I was as a mm. person. Um, so not many people in my life knew that I was dating a woman. Mm. Um, my sisters did. But um, my parents didn't. So, you know, he mm. took that away from me. Mm. That's awful. Yeah. So, you know, that's why you probably can't find anything else since then because I just, you know, I, I pick and choose what I do um, in the media. Oh, Kari, that breaks my heart. Because we're talking about the early 2000s. Yeah. So how is that sporting and that social landscape for gay women back then? How is it different to how it is now? I just think in general with society it's different. It's 
young kids, it's just, you know, it's just, oh, you're gay? Oh, great. Okay, good. We can be mm. friends. I'm straight. Whatever. You know, mm. like it's yeah. not, it's just so fluid now and just, just so comfortable. Yeah. yeah, it's not an issue, you know, and it still was back then for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's just amazing that uh, how society has changed. I think it's, it, you know, I think there's still a long way to go, but, you know, you can definitely feel comfortable with who you are and not feel like it um, in many ways that, like, in this instance, you know, mm. that I wasn't keeping a secret. I was just figuring myself out, mm. you know, before I let other people in my life know about it. And to this have guy, it so public as well. Yeah, this guy felt like he, you know, got some scoop and, you know, whatever. I hope he felt good about it. I can't imagine what that would be like, taking that news away from you and making it so public. Yeah, and I was in the States when it came out, so I couldn't even talk to my parents in person, so I had to talk to them on the phone. How how did they react? Um, I mean, my my dad probably wasn't ready to hear that news at the time, um, mm. but my mum was, my mom, and my dad's great now, but my mum mm. my was great right from the beginning, so. Yeah. Did it take you a long time to, to come to peace with what happened and how it happened? Yeah, I mean, it's, it. you know, I feel like everything that happens in your life shapes you one way or the other. And, you know, for me, I think maybe things wouldn't have been any different. I might have been still very, very private and... and but that's um, understandable that if something like that happens, you yeah. go into your shell. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. No, I mean, not your shell, but I you get emotional not trust about, the media afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I have such a, a much better relationship with the media now. But I think too, because I'm just completely comfortable with who I am as a person and, um, you know, happy in my life. So, mm. it, you know, I don't get written about as much. So it doesn't really, you know, I don't get worked up about um, mm. any of that stuff anymore. I'll move on to, I want to talk about, because we've talked about the Greg Norman scholarship that, that you won and that opportunity to go over to the US and stay with him for a week. Um, that was really the basis for you being so motivated and inspiring you to create the Curry Web series and the Curry Web scholarship. Is that yeah. right? Can you tell yeah. me about about what you do there? Yeah, so um that week with um Greg was very impactful for me. Um mm. and, you know, not many people have someone that's their idol that they look up to that you ever get the chance to meet them, let alone, you know, live in their house and spend time with them and their family. Mm. So I, for years I had actually wanted to do something like that. Um, and uh, when the a AGU and the ALGU merged and became Golf Australia was when actually things started to work on, on that front. I had, I had talked to the ALGU for many years and it just, you know, their idea of what, was, what they wanted wasn't even close to what I wanted. Mm. But um, uh, anyway, we worked it out and the Kari Web series started in um, 2007 and it's a series of events that the the leading female players, amateur players in the country play in and they um, get awarded points for their performances and the top two girls uh, get um, monetary scholarship uh, to pay for travel to um, different tournaments or, mm -hmm. or equipment or what have you. For me, the coolest part of the series has has always been that um, they come to the U.S. for a week. Most of the years, it was at the U.S. Open. Um, I rented a we rented a, ha ran a house and mm -hmm. 
the girls stay in the house with me and, you know, pretty much see everything that I do for the mm-hmm. week. The last few years we've we've had it at the, the uh, Women's PGA Championship. Mm-hmm. But uh, when we first started, my, my agent was like, are you sure you want it to do it at the US Open? And I was like, I'm not sure. I don't, you know, I mean, those events are very big and, Mm. You know, I'm I'm a little more stressed than normal, and um, but I I was older. By but 2008 was the first year they came over. Mm. Um, the series went the end of 07 through beginning of 08, and I wasn't sure if if it was for me to have them at the U.S. Open. But mm. I was like, it's the biggest event we play, and this is what I want them to aspire to play in. Mm. Um, and so they came over. They you know walked inside the ropes during practice rounds and got to meet other players and um, it was just the greatest. Like I, it, the f- <laughs> first year was everything that I could have hoped for as far as the girls asking tons of questions and mm. being super excited to be there. Mm. How I guess I felt I would have looked like when I was staying at, at Greg's place. For yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> But you put your own preparation second initially. Yeah, but it actually. Inspiring those, those young girls and those, those juniors through. I don't think I did though. I think it actually rejuvenated me a little bit that mm. week. You know, like it's not like you ever get sick of playing a US Open, but um, instead of it being like a full-on grind, you had a bit of a release at the end mm. of the day because the girls would ask, you know, all these different questions that you didn't even think about. And you could see that look in their eye. Yeah, and see that they were really mm. learning and excited and it's been fantastic. I don't know if we can if we can beat last year though. Um, <laughs> I had, we had a we had a bigger house than normal last year, so I invited um, Hannah Green and Sue O mm-hmm. to stay in the house with us, and they're they're past scholarship winners. Mm-hmm. And and we had Becky Kay and Grace Kim, who are the current current scholarship winners in the house, and yep. so the uh, Stacy Peters, um, who's one of the first, yeah, one of the first winners who now uh, works in high performance for Golf Australia. So she was over as well. So we're all in the house. Um, and, uh, you know, at the end of the week, Hannah Hannah won. And uh, you just can't, you can't top that. Yeah. Um, you know, that the girls got to, to witness, you know, someone, Hannah is only a few years older than them. So they've actually played with her. Um, win a major and mm. win her first tournament, and it and it was a major. It was um, and yeah. an Aussie as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I was the best mentor um, that night, but I I did. <laughs> well, after I she did, won, <laughs> yeah, I did teach them. I did teach them how to celebrate. So yes, I celebrated the important like, things in life, Curry. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I celebrated like I won. So, <laughs> did it feel somewhat like you'd won? I remember just listening to your press conferences afterwards, and you were just like. Like a proud parent or a proud yeah, relative. Yeah, yeah, maybe just say sister. I sister. Mean, I, I could be her parent, but I try not to think that. I did, I did read a quote where you were like, I do feel like her mum or her sister. Yeah. Like, well, I woke up the next day thinking about that and I was like, <laughs> when I was 22, how old was my mum? And she was my age, 44. Wow, and okay. I was like, Don't go oh, there. no. Does she think of me as that? Like, <laughs> No. <laughs> the big sister, the big yeah, sister. Yeah. Um, it's been an incredible alumni for the Curry Web series, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, it has, yeah. You talk and about... It, for me, it's been, I, I guess I've, I now appreciate what my parents have gone through all these years watching live scoring because <laughs> all my favourites are all, uh, you know, Curry Web series winners and 
And um, so it's a long list and, yeah. you know, I'm watching live scoring and I'm like, oh, no, she made a bogey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand the influence that you have had on those girls' careers with that alumni that, that you've had? You say Sue O and Hannah Green, um, Stacey Peters. Minji Lee. Minji Lee, of course. Yeah. Julia yeah. Bolland as well, yeah. who's now yeah. the ALPG president. Yeah. Um, and actually Julia is a friend of mine and she says there's no way she would have been a professional golfer if not for the fact that she'd won and spent that week over yeah. with you. Yeah, actually I, I would agree because um, Julia came with Stacey Keating, Stacey Peters, and mm. Stacey was like a golf perv. Like she knew everything about everything. And, <laughs> and Julia said to me one night, I'll never forget it because she's like, I don't know if I, I should even think about being a professional golfer because I don't know any of this history. And I'm like, well, that doesn't stop you from, mm. you know, wanting to be a professional golfer. You don't have to know all this stuff. Mm. I said, you'll eventually learn. And so when I came over here, I didn't, you know, I knew very little, but you learn, you learn very quickly yeah. um, and learn, you know, who to appreciate and thank for everything they've done as past players. Mm. But yeah, I remember that conversation. Then Julia went on to go to college in the States mm -hmm. and then turn pro. So um, yep. that's really cool. And now leading um, ALPG in Australia, which is yep. fantastic. How do you feel about the number of girls who are playing golf in Australia now? You know, I'd definitely like to see the depth and, and more participation for sure. I, I think I noticed it probably three or four years ago, mm -hmm. um, just in the depth of the, the, the elite amateurs coming through that, you know, there just wasn't that depth there of, mm. of great talent. And, you know, that just filters down to the fact that, you know, there, there isn't tons of girls um, staying in golf. You know, a lot of them start, but it's it's keeping them in the sport, you know, through mm. those teen years. Um, Where are we going wrong with the girls in golf? Not just girls in sport, but I just want to know specifically golf. Where are we yeah, going wrong? Yeah, I think golf, um, culture-wise, you know, clubs have to change. Uh, you heard mm. me talking about Air Golf Club and kids mm. playing Red Red Rover in the bunkers. Like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't grow up in the typical golf culture. Which is strict rules, which is Yeah, tuck your shirt codes. and take your hat off. Yeah. You know. And it's still tuck your shirt and take your hat off. You know, a mm. lot of that hasn't changed. Um, Did you say even recently or a couple of years ago you were at one of the golf courses in Victoria, where you're an ambassador and someone. Oh, yeah. Can you tell yeah. me sorry? Yeah, I popped into the clubhouse really quick to get um, a bottle of water to take out on the course and I didn't take my hat off. And, you know, and part of that is because I've lived in the US so long and people wear hats inside all the time. Mm. So I just don't take my hat off. And I'd literally been in the clubhouse for 30 seconds and someone came up and <laughs> told me to take my hat off. <laughs> Curry Webb, yeah. an ambassador I, for our golf course, yeah. greatest golfer Australia's ever produced. Yeah, I looked at the guy behind the bar and I said, and you wonder why young people don't play golf anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. You know, and I think those sort of rules need to, to bend. I, mm. I get, you know, some of the things you really love about golf are also some of the things that have to change and I think we have to be okay with that yeah. um, if you want the game to survive. And it's expensive as well. The like it's an expensive sport once you've got the club fees and yeah, the equipment, it is. let alone then to have to yeah. get the sports the golf specific clothes as well. Yeah, exactly. I think some of the problem in clubs too, you, 
you think maybe it's just the men, but I think some of the women are just as much to blame for discouraging young girls to play. Mm. Uh, and even women, you know, women taking up the game in their 30s and 40s, they get so clicky out at these clubs and mm. they should be welcoming these women in and they make them feel uncomfortable and unwelcomed. Mm. And um, that mentality has to change for for the game to grow. But I always find it interesting because I'm a very confident, outgoing person. But when I go to the golf course, I feel anxious or nervous or intimidated. And I think far out if I'm feeling intimidated in this yeah. environment, I can't imagine what it's like for a junior girl to walk up and, and want to get involved in the game. Yeah. And I, I, I do think there's a shift and there's a change happening, but I, I think it's going to take some time for that mentality to, to shift in clubs, um, you know, mm. and as long as the people running the clubs are the ones that have been there for, for years and years, it'll be, it'll be hard to shift it. But I, I think it, I think it will. And I think there's other avenues with golf now, you know, driving ranges and, and top golfs mm. and public courses that really there isn't that sort of feeling around no. those. You don't have to be members of those other clubs immediately. You know, something that happens perhaps later. And you also mentioned air not having, being a country golf course. For a long time there, a lot of the elite Australian women's players came from country yeah. kind of areas yeah. as well. And well, golf I think, courses. yeah, I think um, because we had access to uh, the golf course whenever we wanted, you know, mm. I was out there, especially in high school, I was out there every afternoon after school, uh, before school, my high school backed onto the golf course. So, um, you know, I'd stop in there on the way to school and then after school. And um, But even as a young child, like there wasn't a day really that I wasn't allowed to be out there. You know, maybe Saturday afternoon competition. You know, I couldn't be on the golf course, but I could mm. be on the practice facilities. So I, I never experienced that um, at all mm. until, I mean, we used to play um, state stroke play championships. I remember playing the New South Wales stroke play championship uh, one year and, you know, it's a 72-hole event, which is four days, um, but mm. it took us five days to play because we played Monday, Tuesday. We had to have Wednesday off because mm. that was the men's day and mm. then played Thursday, Friday. Mm. Yeah. But to have access to those great courses, that's that's what we had to do. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so growing up in a country town, um, I, you know, I think that's why I loved loved it. I, there was no restrictions. Yeah. You know, as long as you tucked your shirt in and didn't wear your hat in the, in the clubhouse, <laughs> um, you know, we were all good. I think we could do away with those rules and we'd get more <laughs> juniors in. Um, you've talked about cutting back your schedule. Do you plan to cut back even more? And, Kari, do I dare bring up the R word? <laughs> I don't know if you ever really retire from golf. Um, <laughs> I'm old enough to play uh the legends tour now. <laughs> um, I've got to get my <laughs> i got to get my head around that. Yeah, it's legends. Um, it's it's a nice way of saying yes. Old 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 ducks. No. Tour. <laughs> I was going for veterans, but you go there. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's something that I can play in. I um and I think I will. I don't I don't know if I'll do it this year, but um. Mm. Um, I think I will eventually. And I don't know how much golf I'm going to play this year. I played the Vic Open and the Australian Open in February. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't actually have a tournament scheduled mm -hmm. as of now. I think I'll always want to compete, but I I also, I just can't get my head around just being there to make up the numbers, you know. Mm. 
the thing is, if I if I wanted to play full time right now, I'd still be competitive, and I know that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think I'm always, you know, I'm always going to have a day where I go and practice, and I go, oh, I can still do this. Let's go out and play. But yeah. the reality, and and I could go out and play a one off tournament and win it, or or have a chance to win it. But the chances of that, with the little amount of I mean, it's the playing part. It's not the practicing part. It's the playing part and being mm. under that pressure. If you do that more regularly, you know, it just it just comes naturally when mm. you're in those situations. So, it, I mean, it could happen, but the chances of it aren't great, and mm. I know that. And I don't know if I just want to be one of the numbers out there. And I don't I don't want to be congratulated for making a cut. You know, that's mm. not that's not who I am, and that's not the standard of golf that I have hold myself at. Mm. So um, I'd have to really change that mentality to just wanting to be out there, I mm. think. And I don't I don't know if that's going to change. Mm. But seriously, when I do play, I love every second of walking through the, you know, through the gates on the first tee and getting <laughs> ready to go. Like I, I'll never, I'll never tire of that, yeah. um, you know. And so it's great that, you know, health-wise my body is still um, – trucking along and I'm still fairly well injury free and you know and I can play the old ducks to us. So once I <laughs> once Legends. I admit Legends. that I'm I'm um, old enough to do that, then um, <laughs> they might see me out there. We um, we finish off every podcast by asking our guests what advice they would give their ten year old self. So what would you tell little Curry Webb who's just uh, worked out that she wants to be a professional golfer? Yeah. I I would tell myself to to slow down and to really enjoy it, um, to really appreciate playing a sport for a living, even though you think you're enjoying it, really, really enjoy it and appreciate it while, mm. you, while you're in the moment and, and, and not, not wait to reflect on it later. Kari, it's been awesome to have you on, on Her Game. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me on. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Lindsay Green. Audio producer, Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app, or search On Her Game podcast.